Do customers care about the social impact of the brands that they buy from? And do the companies themselves even care? Well, really interesting episode of Sideload today because we're talking all about purpose and whether you can actually make it profitable. Welcome to episode 29 of Sideload. And welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas, and on the menu today is a discussion about responsible innovation and purpose in the tech industry. Do businesses care about the way their operations are perceived by outsiders from a social impact or CSR point of view? Should they focus on the greater good or just the bottom line? Well, to prevent this being a big fat monologue, we've got three great minds to discuss the top issues. Paul Miller is the CEO of Bethnal Green Ventures, an early stage investor for tech businesses with social and environmental impact. Jerry Wisniewski leads a crack team of 60 technology specialists as Edelman London's MD for technology. And Mark McGinn is a director of Purpose for Edelman London. He's dedicated his career to helping businesses tell their narrative about sustainability and values. Paul, Jerry and Mark, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for the introduction. So let's start with this one then. What are the big challenges the tech industry is facing when it comes to responsible innovation today? So I'll I'll start. So I think there's a real sense today that um, tech companies must better articulate what they do and why they do it and how they're contributing back to the world. And I think uh, that's in reaction to a lot of the big emerging new stories that we've seen over this past year and, and beyond. Um, they are seen as you know, wealth generators, um, the wealth generators of tomorrow. And, and there's a sense that it's their responsibility and perhaps also an obligation that they do the right thing and have more of an impact in the world. And given the pervasiveness, sorry, excuse my language, of technology in our lives, um, so, you know, I think that's borne out in some of the stuff that we've seen in our Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, you know, tech traditionally has been one of the most trusted sectors. Um, we've seen that on lo- in the last five years, business sectors. Um, but this, there's another story that's behind that, which is that actually trust in tech has also been declining. Um, and we've seen our own data, people are worried about the pace of innovation and change. Um, and we've also seen uh, that people are uh, unclear on what new technologies like AI and blockchain um, and self-driving cars and automation is gonna is gonna mean for them. So uh, the tech industry needs to do a better job of articulating what these technologies are gonna do and how they're gonna bring value to, to everyone, not just to the few. Yeah, Mark? I totally agree with that. We saw that, that, that trust in tech is still incredibly high the highest of any sector and a real privileged position, but it does appear that um, tech sector is no longer building trust. It's living off um, the faith from the past and the change that people have seen in their lives. And when we look underneath the surface, as Joe was alluding to, in the key foundations of where probably we're going to build the, the next future uh, in, in growth areas for the tech sector are, there's a huge gap in the level of trust between the trusts of tech sector t- today and those in into areas, whether it be AI, whether it be self-driving cars, whether it be um, share economy, it's about 20 point gap in trust levels, which suggests that there's just a lack of understanding of the opportunity it creates, perhaps also a lack of understanding and honesty or, or just discourse about the risks it may present and how you can manage those risks. And in the vacuum of that um, lack of knowledge, the people have obviously veered on 
um, being risk averse and fearful of changes coming. And obviously the narratives they're hearing are currently often around job markets, about loss of employment. Um, there's been lots of bad news stories recently as well around the security of data and the transparency of some of the larger tech organisations. So um, it definitely means that the tech sector can't rest in its laurels and there's opportunity to do more and do better and to communicate about what are those opportunities and how do we manage through some of the risks they may present as well. What are you seeing, Paul? Well, I'd probably be a bit harsher on the tech sector, to be honest. I think like it, it, it held itself up to very, very high standards. If you think back to like, 10, 15, 20 years ago, actually, the, the origins of these the tech startups that we now sort of treat as household names, they wanted to be this positive force in the world. And actually, to be honest, they've had a terrible couple of years in terms of you know, people's... Uh, uh, you know, they, they've done some bad stuff and that's that they don't like <laughs> the fact that they're coming under criticism now. Um, and I think, you know, there's from my conversations with them, they really want to do something about that. They, they, they absolutely feel the criticism very acutely in their sort of senior management of those, those big tech companies and they want to do something about it. But I think they have had a, like, a pretty, pretty torrid time, actually, in those big tech companies over the last couple of years. Is this a, a purpose issue at all, or are there other things at play here? I think that, um, yeah, it's a purpose issue, because I think that some of the changes that have been, um, some of the effects that we've seen in the last few years, they're unintentional. Does it mean they haven't happened, and does it mean companies have to take responsibility? I don't believe the people who founded some of these companies and the implications of the scale of the operations they now are on in charge of, they fathomed how influential they could be across society. Um, so, for example, I think that um, some of those platforms and some of the news we saw recently around elections, I don't think they themselves realised how their platform had even been used and how their data could be used. Mm. Um, I mean, they of course, they understand the power of it, but they didn't realise how effectively other people could do it, harness it as well. Um, that's part naivety, it's part hope that was perhaps naive hope for many of us from 10, 20 years ago. Um, and now we're, we are trying to set up the right structures and inside these companies, beyond these companies, um, with other um, startups and scale-ups that are trying to provide alternatives to how best we can manage that world being created now. Um, so I think some of it is just a, a you know, this is a, the whole, this entire sector has changed at such a rate. These are almost growing pains that isn't meant to belittle the, the scale of some of the problems, but it's simply that um, they weren't envisaged and that as we've got to them now, we have to, all of us have to be much more open about what they are and then be more open about how we can build solutions for them because it won't always be easy either. Sure. Yeah, and I think there's some some lessons to be learned as well. Like, you know, if, even if the the bad things were unintentional, actually, looking back at it now, they perhaps could have been avoided. And so, if you're a, a new technology company, if you're you know founders looking at how you're going to develop your technology in the future, you can look at that and go, actually, we could do this differently. We could we could avoid some of the problems that these like already massive companies have faced over the last two years by having a more responsible approach to the way that we develop technology and the way we. Uh, involve the sort of you know the, the ethical side of things, the social implication side of things, and actually like build that in from the beginning. And that's something that uh, you know we can we can learn from. Mm. I want to ask this one to you, Jerry. First of all, can can companies be both profitable and have a social impact? I think yes, they can, and that has to be the way that they operate moving forward. I think the customers. And people who are buying from them, consumers, are going to be demanding it. And again, looking at the data that we've just issued recently around um, brand, you know, customers are making decisions with their wallet. So, you know, 
they, I think it's uh, two thirds of co uh, consumers are now saying they buy based on their belief in what that brand does, how it operates, um, what it stands for. They care that much. Um, so yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty high, and it's really consistent across um, all the income brackets now. Um, it's consistent across all the age groups. In fact, I think the 55 um, plus age group um, had the biggest jump in kind of this growth in belief driven mindset. Um, and so I think brands and companies are, they're feeling that and the data is now demonstrating that. Um, so, you know, you will, you will see customers putting their money where their mouth is. Um, I think, you know, we're also seeing that on the investment side um, so it's I'm really optimistic because we see you know accelerators like um, Bethnal Green Ventures emerging um, and and others and you, we're seeing this growth in impact investing so where you know investors are saying you know we can see profit and social impact working side by side and actually the data showing well it's I think investment is doubled in this past year and that's it's it's the huge figure it's something like 280 million or something now um but but not only that you know you, you can see the profit margins are like around 13 percent. so that's you know that's really good profit to be made there too and I think it used to be a dirty word to say profit and you know social impact and responsibility in the same sentence but you know that's just the way it's going and I think startups are, you know start, startups have just embraced this it's kind of in their DNA from mm. the very beginning and I think a lot of that is probably in reaction to a lot of the stuff we've seen over the past few years so I'm really if I haven't said optimistic enough I'm really optimistic <laughs> that you know things are going to be different that's good to hear well you just mentioned um, the Bethlehem Green Ventures so um, this is the perfect opportunity to, to bring you in Paul um, a lot of people will be sceptical about being able to do both uh, social impact and be profitable. Why do you only invest in, in tech for good? Is it possible to, to do both? Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for us, we see it as being, you know, this is the future of business. And, and um, as Jerry says, it's driven on both sides by the investors who want to have companies they can invest in where they believe it's going to have a positive impact on the world. Uh, because they're managing people's money and they and those people care about it. So it's, it's a long chain. And then on the other side, you've got the founders who want to create these businesses. And every time we open up for applications, we get more applications from talented people who want to put their skills to use in the, you know building technology that has a positive social impact. Um, and for us, we, we always look for companies where we believe that basically the more of the product or service they sell, the more positive social impact they have. So we don't believe that there should be a trade-off. So the more profit you make, the less social impact you have. We actively seek out businesses where we believe that the two are aligned, where the, the business model means that you know the, the bigger the company, the more social impact it has. And that's, 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 that's our thesis, is that that is possible. And so far, it seems to be bearing out. Most people would probably think that people just go for the cheapest, right? Yeah. But it sounds like from, from what Jerry was saying about the, the um, brand research that that's not the case. No, and I, it's not everyone, let's be clear. It wouldn't be naive, I think that would be everyone. But what I'm so thrilled about um, in, in our career lifetimes, um, I'm not too old, uh, and it's seeing people like Paul come through, um, all the evidence that Jerry mentioned is that this myth has been busted. This, this view that was once preached, and by some it still is being preached, that you can't have both. And that some way delivering social impact is soft and it's not a business and this kind of machismo view of what business should be 
has been broken and thankfully so and it's been broken as Paul said from all sides you know it's been broken by people who are demonstrating you can do both it's broken by investors of the largest scale from Larry Fink down saying we think this is as important in demonstrating how you're going to have positive impact in the long-term success of any company um, as it is as much about your what you're presenting as your profit through to consumers who as this evidence this year 20% uplift in the UK for belief driven buyers that's an enormous step saying that we believe brands can have a positive impact. We think you have better ideas and you're better at doing it than government. And we think you should. And if you do, we'll reward you with our pounds or our dollars or whatever market you're in. Um, and for, I find that incredibly exciting to, um, in, to uh, inform and inspire those young um, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in big companies who are trying to, because it's not an easy route, because a lot often this is breaking down old models and old ways of doing business. And for many of them, that will be a hard journey. It'll be a long journey because you've got to unpick what's already been done. Um, it's harder than often building from the start. So um, it's a it's a longer road, but it's a much better better route for us all to take. Um, uh, and not least because obviously in the long term, we're all stewards for where we work. We hope you'll pass it on to somebody else um, and we hope that we'll give uh, jobs and employment to other people to have a good life. Um, if we don't take care of each other or the planet we live in, there really won't be rooms or markets for any companies to exist. So in some ways it's enlightened self-interest, um, but it's it's good, it's becoming commonplace um, now. Paul, um, I know you, you were saying just before we, we went on, on air, if you like, in the Reddit commas, that you, you, you deal with a lot of uh, big companies as well as startups, um, but I know that, that most of your sort of bread and butter, if you like, is the, the smaller end of things. So startups, um, some might argue that they are at an advantage because they have a social impact built into their business from its inception. Um, but is this is this a much bigger challenge for larger organisations to do authentically and well? Yes, definitely. <laughs> like the, the big companies actually really struggle with some of this, and um, I think they would some of them would admit that. But that's not to say that they can't like help. Um, and so, what we've seen is uh, increasing numbers of uh, actually really interesting partnerships between big companies and startups, or big companies and impact investors, to try and solve problems that that those larger companies know they have. And I guess my uh, my hunch as to how this is going to go over the next few years is that we'll see uh, larger companies having more and more partnerships, potentially acquiring more and more social purpose companies over time and sort of sunsetting some of their own like products and services. So as the, the mix is that the you know big companies will end up with more social impact products and services over time and less stuff where they realize it is actually potentially detrimental to their to their overall reputation. And I think We've seen that actually with one of your clients, uh, Unilever, buying up uh, B Corps. So buying brands that have a, a demonstrable positive impact. And, and obviously they create some of their own, but actually the, the bigger bit of growth is is to acquiring companies that are, have got this built in from the beginning. Uh, Mark, does size matter in terms of responsibility go and purpose? I think it does matter. Your question about is it harder? Um uh, you can be quite large. I mean, Danone's the biggest speaker in the world, huge company who are doing things, as Paul suggested, with you know, profit and their impact aligned with equal importance. Um, so within an organisation like that, it will be easier because they have already probably restructured and created a culture in which is encouraging their workforce to deliver against both those objectives. For companies where you're not yet at that place, um, it's harder. You, you, you know, those very 
favourite terminologies of years gone by about being pirates within. Sometimes it will feel like that for those people. Um, and at some of the world where, where Paul's working, where you start off with a social problem, you just solve the problem in doing so, you create commercial opportunity. Inherently, you are going to be delivering social impact in, in your own success, which is a fantastic way of approach. Now, many of the big companies don't haven't got that um, as a start point. Um, doesn't mean they can't have positive impact. And some of the positive impact can be also understanding how they are operating in the world and their scale means that they can come to bear great impact. So the opportunity is great for them, might be harder to get there, but the opportunity to make a difference is enormous. Jerry? I think it is more complicated uh, for larger organisations, but there's plenty of examples of those who have been able to do it well. Um, so um, Patagonia is one, um, outdoor um, apparel and lifestyle brand who have said from the very beginning their aim was to combine, combine you know, making great products with, um, you know, uh, doing good for the environment and that's connected very much to their kind of brand values which is around you know people and, and, and the outdoors and, co and connecting those um, and um, looking for solutions that are going to protect the environment um, but there, there, there are many many others and there are examples out there I think um, the challenge is around articulating their story um, very well because like you say they've many of these companies, they, they don't start out big, they start out small and they become big very quickly and sometimes the fallout from that is that they've forgotten what, why they started in the first place. So just going back to some basics, everyone's probably started a business because there was a problem to solve mm. um, and if they could strip it back to that then that would go at least some way to better kind of them articulating how they're contributing to the world. It's another thing I think that might start to change a bit with the big companies, particularly big tech companies. Is, you know, I think it's it's a it's a pretty American view, but the idea that you make loads of money through your business and then you turn that into philanthropy and you do the good through the philanthropy, like sort of once you've made all the money, mm. um, and that still exists. Don't get me wrong, but it, I feel like it's starting to break down a bit now, and people are starting to go, "Hang on a minute." I've sort of caused the problem over here and now I'm trying to solve it with my philanthropy. And, and it's some of those sort of, you know, really senior people in the tech sector seem to be thinking about that a bit differently and starting to think, actually, well, could we change the way that the, the company yeah. operates to have a positive social impact? So I have to do less of the philanthropy to, to, to mop things up afterwards. And it's that's that's a long journey. But I feel like we've, we've probably just about started on that journey now um, in terms of the big tech companies. The other... I wanted to build on around that is actually um, employees now are having a huge impact on their employers and so you're seeing you know people now um, employees in senior positions exiting companies because they don't believe in what they're doing or um, and we could we could name those examples. Everyone can go out and, and Google those on a search engine. Um, so you know I think brands now need to think about their customers as not just being who's buying my product actually who's yeah. in my company because they're not going to be able to attract talented people anymore because I think the days are gone also when money was the only kind of thing that talent wants mm. they, people want to work for brands they believe in and feel passionate about and yes money is great but it's not the only thing anymore yeah absolutely and to, to Jerry's point I know Unilever are very very proud that they have become like the second most followed um, brand or company on LinkedIn 
which for a traditional FMCG is quite an achievement, knowing there are many companies out there who you know, regard it as much cooler and much more exciting. Um, and it's driven largely by their USLP and their commitment, their journey they've been on under Paul Palmer's leadership. Um, which for a company like of that scale, when you're employing hundreds of thousands of people, having the right human capital, having the, bright, the best, the brightest people with you for the long term, will absolutely affect your long-term performance. So be able to keep hold of them because you've got a commitment and value set that people believe in um, and then understand they can deliver against within your company is crucially important. We're going to talk about how products are made and the impact that has. But first, let's take a quick step back and revisit the last episode of Sideload where we answered the question, what on earth is business science? things that uh, we are rolling out with business science is a simulation and optimization engine that makes recommendations uh, on you know the types of campaigns to run uh, on the investment levels and even when to execute them but what we've typically done is um, there's somebody that has to sort of <laughs> I would say QA that quality assure that and makes modifications based on you know their knowledge of the market and things like that so uh, it is a tool um, and it, it is it is certainly possible to have a machine recommend something but I, I think it would be pretty reckless <laughs> to <laughs> let that run on its own um, you know when we build these solutions for clients in the past and provided recommendations like it's usually it takes multiple months to work with that model um, and the ultimate decision on what to do is a piece of what the model recommends but it's you know also a piece of what people recommend on top of it all You're listening to Sideload, and today we're talking about responsible innovation and purpose. We're still here with Jerry Wisniewski, Mark McGinn, and Debo from Edelman, by the way, and Paul Miller from Bethnal Green Ventures. So uh, I think this is uh, obviously a question for you, uh, Paul, first of all. In which sectors is uh, Bethnal Green Ventures seeing the most interesting business ideas emerging today? And are there any sectors currently underserved? Sure. Well, um, so we invest across uh, health, education, environmental sustainability and civic innovation, by which we mean like improving the relationship between government and, and citizens. Um, and there's all kinds of interesting things going across all of those. But I, th there's one theme actually that's um, that's picked up recently, which is to some extent uh, people wanting to create startups that solve problems that they feel were almost created by tech in the first place. Mm. Um, so um, just two examples of that. Uh, one is... I think you know there is a feeling that actually the um, you know tech helped create the gig economy. The gig economy has created problems in some ways for for, for some of the workers involved, and so we've seen a lot of people who are creating uh, what you might call sort of worker tech uh, sort of uh, solutions. So things that actually help people uh, in low-paid precarious work to, to earn more, to have better opportunities, and so on. So that's something we've seen. Uh, picking up. Another is actually like the effect of tech on our mental health mm -hmm. and actually I think we're starting to see that you know, you know maybe it's not a great thing that the, 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 uh, that some of the um, technologies that have come about in the last 10 years, uh, the effect they've had and so we've seen a, a, a really strong group of um, startups come through that are trying to help people with their, their mental health as well. So those, those are two areas but I think that yeah there is this sort of thing of like uh, sort of, you know, technologies to solve some of the problems that technology might have created in the first place. That's something we've seen more of recently. 
Do you see any areas where things <coughs> might grow in terms of, from a tech perspective, where um, companies should do a bit more from a purpose standpoint? Um, yeah, I think that Paul touched on one, which as a, I, I'm a father of young children, I've worked around the world of technology and media all my life. Um, I love technology. We've got, we've got far too many screens in our house like everyone else. I've got two phones in my pocket right now. But um, I do think that there will be a growth area in trying to help us live with technology as it is now ubiquitous in our life. Um, it's been designed by brilliant, brilliant minds using some of the best um, psychological studies. Um, it is deeply addictive in many ways and, and um, we need to understand how we can help everyone live with that and live well with that. Um, I have young kids so obviously I'm very aware of uh, how they will grow into that world and there's a whole array everyone knows about uh, in that realm. I also have older, older relatives and it'd be great to see technology help with the big isolation we have in society now and as we become more urban population and more transient, how do we, how do we um, ensure we do connect people genuinely in a time when we are more connected than ever because there are many people who aren't and there's horrific facts about, um, I think it was, it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, I can't quote correctly, but the f how few people have spoken to anyone in the last four weeks um, of the elderly population in the UK, which is, which is uh, an issue we need to address. Um, beyond that, loads and loads of realms of technology to revolutionize lots and lots of industries for efficiency. So from an environmental perspective, love to see, and it's the beginning how technology will help us move to a, um, a carbon-free um, energy system and how we can manage ourselves better for that and develop solutions for it. Um, and efficiencies in supply chain, including transparency, and there's lots of technology can do to help with that. Um, we obviously live in a globalised world and helping consumers understand better where things have come from so they can make choices about how companies operate more clearly it is a great possibility of technology. Uh Jerry, with technology now touching pretty much all areas of our lives, it's not just the way that we use technology, but the way that technology is made that needs more focus and attention. So what can tech companies do to address this? Design them better <laughs> from, from, the, from the start. Um, so yes, there's a topic that's getting a lot of attention. Um, you know, all the things in the news that we're seeing, the rise of AI, where there's um, potential bias in the algorithms, um, to lack of diversity in teams, um, impacting the type of technology that's been developed and the way it's being developed, to tech that you know we've talked about, which rewards unhealthy habits and behaviour. Um, so there's clearly a responsibility that tech companies have to design technology in a way that's better for society, the world and the people in it. Um, you know, we've seen those high profile examples of what happens when companies aren't transparent about it. Um, customers boycott you, shareholders might result, revolt, employees walk out. Um, so I think what they need to look at doing is design from the very beginning. Um, so ask very critical questions about the values and beliefs they hold. Be transparent about um, you know how they conduct business um, and where there are grey areas and there will be some be open to discussion and, and debate about those and, and look at what the potential solutions might be um, you know look at talent and how they hire and how they um, are an inclusive uh, workforce um, look at how employees are rewarded and the working conditions um, supply chains hold their suppliers to account um, those are just some of the good places to start but there are obviously loads more yeah, yeah. And, one, and one more that, that Paul mentioned it is really um, will no doubt go through enormous change in the next decade is education 
partly because our current structures are simply unaffordable for us now um, in terms of for the people going through it and for the governments to support it but also because obviously our work life will be completely different in future and the length of time we work and the number of careers we have so this idea that you finish learning at some point and then you go into work and you kind of carry on just doing that is clearly not going to be correct we're going to have to keep learning and learning new skills so the way the technology is changing the model of education how it's delivered to you the, the costs around it and the price you pay for that um, will be really exciting not least because i'll open up the doors to hopefully to many people who would have had them closed otherwise and paul well i think yeah, this is a, this is a really big question actually is like how do you responsibly develop uh, technology i mean one criticism that's often leveled at silicon valley in particular is that it's it's, it's basically a sort of monoculture when it comes to the, the actual tech sector. And so it, it, it solves its own problems, but isn't necessarily very good at solving you know, the problems of a much more diverse uh, population, whether that's by age or ethnicity or gender is, 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 is a very particular one in, in Silicon Valley. I do wonder, actually, whether London might make a bit more of this because we are an incredibly diverse city i'm not saying it's perfectly diverse tech sector in london yet but it is it is more diverse than silicon valley and actually you know maybe there's something that we that we can build on uh, in the uk if we really like can build a tech sector that is thoroughly like diverse and takes into account all those different perspectives because that's to me that's the the slight kind of you know kryptonite for against silicon valley is that you know we could build uh, products and services that are applicable and valuable to a far greater uh, proportion of the human population well thank you so much um, paul jerry mark for joining us on the show i really enjoyed that conversation and a huge thanks to you for listening to this episode of sideload don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and if you want to get in touch send an email to sideload at edelman.com see you next time